Hey friends, welcome back to our final time together with the book of Revelation. I hope you've been having fun and enjoying it as much as I have and that it's been a blessing for you, helping you to find either new ways and fresh ways to understand the book or maybe just some different and unique understandings for you. So I hope it's been a real blessing. Will you join me in prayer as we start our time together? Holy and gracious God, thank you for John's revelation. It's been quite impactful for us. It's been very helpful for us. And certainly, God, it enables us to know that even when life is not treating us well, when circumstances are not at their best, when we feel as though sometimes evil or suffering is just winning, we're grateful that John reminds us in the Revelation that, man, you are the ultimate victor, that Jesus really is still on the throne and that there is hope and celebration to be had. So God, this day, may we celebrate that gift and the ways in which you continue to travel through our lives and in the world to help us build your great kingdom. For all of that, God, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you like sports like I do, and, and I love all kinds of sports. And one of my favorites is, is the worldwide concept of the uh, Olympics. Don't you love those? Uh, we just, of course, got through with the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. And, and one of the fascinating things I saw there were several of those athletes. And, you know, at the top level of athleticism, men where tenths of a second or inches can make all the difference in the world. Uh, you know that they have to just be at their peak, right, these athletes. And so I was fascinated with a couple of interviews during the Summer Olympics where they talked about this concept that is sometimes referred to as visualization. Maybe you've heard of it. In visualization, you literally sort of close your eyes, you sort of picture something, and you begin to recognize that as you visualize in your head and perhaps even in your heart, you're visualizing that preferred future. What will that win look like? What will it feel like to cross that finish line or to achieve that goal? And in the visualization, you're recognizing that uh, you may not be there right now, but you're going to get there. And you picture in your head what it looks like, what it feels like, how you're going to get there, how, what you'll need to do to make that happen. You literally visualize it. And top-level athletes do this in all kinds of sports. It's most common in individualized sports like swimming or uh, track and field, but also in basketball and volleyball. The folks do it all the time. It's a powerful way to see the, f the preferred future. And that's what John is doing for us in his revelation. Because the best news and the good news about visualization is that it helps us to realize that given our circumstances now, whatever they may be, persecution, oppression, life just kicking us in the pants, uh, things not going well. We know that we can exist in this time because we can visualize God's prefer preferred future. That's what John's doing for us, and that's what we want to spend time doing today is recognizing that gift, right? So we, we haven't been able to cover the whole book. I remind you of that yet again, uh, but I hope we've covered for you kind of the top-notch stuff, the things that are high-level and important. We've seen the imagery and the symbolism. We've recognized that evil and suffering goes on in the world. Sometimes we're a part of it, but what we ultimately know and what we're going to celebrate today is that God wins that God's ultimately in control and that we can visualize God's preferred future for us. And so today, I want to spend some time doing that because um, as we realized last week, not only does that evil and that suffering impact every last one of us, it's permeating the world sometimes and we need that hope. 
As we get into chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Revelation, we begin to recognize that um, Babylon, which is John's language for the Roman Empire, the empire of the evil, if you will, uh, they're coming to an end, he will tell us. He would even refer to the, the whore of Babylon, who would be Nero or Domitian, the rulers, that they were going to fall and that we needed a new reality and we were hopeful for a new vision. And that's where John finds us in the last four chapters of his revelation, chapter 19, 20, 21, and 22. So I'm going to read portions of it, talk through with you what those look like and what it means, and hopefully it'll be helpful for you to celebrate this good news that God has for us. So in John chapter 19, we find ourselves with John giving us a powerful description of a, of a future coming kingdom. And in part, it sounds like this beginning in verse 6. John says, Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready to her. It has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright, and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who were invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Man, you, you can feel it, right? There's victory coming, right? Hallelujah, and our Lord reigns, and, and this is a great and mighty opportunity, right? And then John goes into an imagery, like he does so often, of marriage. Did you catch that? There were several references to a wedding, to a marriage, to the clothes that the bride would wear. Uh, and what we begin to reflect on is in all of the New Testament, particularly the Gospels, but even in some of the letters, Marriages are referred to in a way that describes the kingdom of God, God's desired future, what God is trying to build through you and me. I mean, we look at all four of the Gospels, and in every one of the Gospels, there's at least one image where Jesus is referring to a marriage or a wedding, and it's referencing the kingdom of God. He uses the marriage to say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. John's gospel, for instance, has Jesus' first miracle setting up his way to the future. It's in uh, John chapter 2. It's called the wedding at Cana. He turns water into wine, and he acknowledges that uh, he is leading us towards this kingdom of God. Matthew and Luke both have a, an accounting in uh, Matthew chapter 22 and Luke chapter 14, where they talk about a wedding feast. And at that feast, Jesus literally says the kingdom of God is like this feast. And he describes how people ought to be humble and how people ought to celebrate and give thanks for what that feast is going to bring. We look in the Gospel of Mark, for instance, and we see Jesus talks about uh, he is the bridegroom. He's the groom, right? And the church, if you will, is the, is the bride. And he talks about you can't fast while the bridegroom is with you. In other words, you've got to celebrate. You can't sort of uh, purge things. You've got to give thanks, right? And then some of you may recall in Matthew chapter 25, there's this fascinating uh, story about uh, bridesmaids, who, some of whom aren't ready for the coming of the groom and others are ready. And all of it is about the coming kingdom of God and getting ready for what that looks like. And John here in chapter 19 is trying to tell us that the kingdom of God looks like a wedding feast. And who doesn't love that, right? 
I mean, you think about when you go to weddings, it's a party, right? We get to celebrate hope and new beginnings. We get to acknowledge that everything here is a celebration of what is yet to come. That's like God's kingdom. We're always striving for it, always looking for it, right? Part of what Jesus tells us is that he brought that kingdom. You know, on more than one occasion in a couple of different of the gospels, Jesus says that very thing, that he has brought the kingdom. Luke chapter 17 tells us this way. He says, uh, one day the Pharisees asked him, uh, when will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. And how powerful is that? That's a part of what John is pointing us to when he uses this imagery of marriage. And he's not stopping there. He'll continue it here in just a minute. But catch up with me in, uh, back in Revelation 19. Last couple of verses here we're going to cover. Then I saw heaven open, John said, and there was a white horse. Its riders called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. You might remember the four horsemen of the apocalypse back in chapter uh, 6. And there was a white horse then, but that horse was about conquering. That was about the empire. This white horse, it's got the true rider faithful and true. Jesus will know him not only as faithful and true, we'll know him as the lamb. And then you hear that great imagery that John gives us that on his forehead is inscribed his name, the word of God. And you might recall John, the gospel writer would tell us that, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and helped us to better understand, right? John is setting up the kingdom and helping us to better understand it. Now, John chapter, I mean, Revelation chapter 20 is a fascinating chapter as well. Not going to read any of it, but it's that chapter in the 20th chapter that um, we have the divergences uh, most commonly understood between, uh, remember, the futurist view, we talked about a literal rendering of the uh, Revelation, and the idealist view, which we as United Methodists claim. We diverge quite clearly there. It's in this 20th chapter that you might hear about the thousand-year reign and golly, pre-millennial, post-millennial, and all that kind of stuff. We all get confused by that. And here's the good news in the idealist view. We don't need to be confused by that. What we need to celebrate is what I'll refer to as the trifecta of winning that God gives us. In chapter 20, for instance, we see that the martyrs, those who've died for the faith, they will be resurrected. That's a win, right? Anytime we can be resurrected, that's a win. We see the second win, which is Satan is cast out or he's fallen down and, and we no longer have to deal with him. That's a win, friends. And then what we also claim is that it, the faithful are judged. And I know sometimes when we think about judgment, we don't golly feel like that's a win, but here's the win, friends. When we live faithfully, when we persevere, when we follow Jesus' teachings, when we do what God desires in building God's kingdom, judgment, it's a good thing. It's a blessing. It's a rich opportunity. And so we get this great trifecta in chapter 20 that claims for us powerful celebration that we need to be mindful of, and it leads to the coming kingdom. That's where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter 21, where John begins to describe the revelation of that new kingdom. Here's what he says, and you might be familiar with some of this. He says it this way, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. There's that wedding language again, right? The kingdom. It's a new kingdom. The old heaven, the old earth, they're gone. There's a new heaven. There's a new earth. There's a new Jerusalem. There's a new holiness. And God is with us all. And the sea has gone. What is that? Well, in biblical imagery, sea often refers to chaos, problems, distress. It's gone because the kingdom's come. See? Then we get to verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be His peoples and God Himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And then he said to me, it's done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end to the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things and I will be their God and they will be my children. And doesn't that sound great? That's a picture of God's kingdom. And it is not an, a, a place up in heaven as we might ascribe, but rather God's kingdom is here. And here's how we know that. He says God will make his home among us. He says God's dwelling place will be here. And it's fascinating because both those words, home and dwelling place, they go all the way back to the Old Testament that talked about how God tabernacled. And the tabernacle was the house of God, right? It was the initial tent of meeting that uh, the people took with them. And in the tent of meeting, in that tabernacle, God's spirit dwelled. God's very presence dwelled. And the gospel writer John told us in John chapter 1, the Word of God dwelt among us. It's the word tabernacle again, home, dwelling. It means God is here. God is with us. God is making a home among us and helping us to discover that even in the midst of the evil and suffering, even in the midst of oppression and things that don't feel good, God is with us. Gosh, that sounds like Christmas, doesn't it? Emmanuel, God with us. And that's the powerful good news uh, John is trying to reveal to us. And listen to the way that new kingdom sounds, right? There's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more pain. Uh, there's no more death. Pause with me just for a moment and imagine what that's like. No more pain. No more mourning. No more death. I don't believe what John is saying is literally those things will be eradicated so much as what John is saying is even when we face death, even when we have mourning, and who doesn't, right? Even when pain and weeping is a part of our lives, God is still there, God is still with us, and God is still helping us, you see. In the kingdom of God, everything becomes new and different. And then I love what he talks about when he talks about I am the Alpha and the Omega. That, of course, are the Greek letters for the beginning and the end that God surrounds us, that God incorporates us into a new relationship. And that relationship is building God's kingdom. Far too often, friends, we have made our faithfulness in Jesus about reserving a place in eternity. 
And I'm not about to say that that's not real. But what I am saying is it's not our end goal. Our end goal is not to reserve a place for us. Our end goal is to build God's kingdom. It's why Jesus came. It's what Jesus is teaching. He taught more about the kingdom of God than anything else. And it's what Jesus wanted us to be about. And it's what John is telling us is the ultimate goal. Listen to what he further says later in that same chapter, chapter 21. He says, I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, God and Jesus, right? And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Jesus is the light of the world, right? The nations will walk in with its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. Wow! God is the temple. We, we no longer have to worship God in a designated place. We no longer have to attribute God only to a designated site, right? We can see and experience and feel and know that God is with us and that God is that temple. The Lamb, Jesus, is what makes that life possible. And that Lamb is the light of the world. Jesus himself would say that over and over again. The gospel writers would attune it to him over and over again. But here's my favorite part. The nations will attribute it to him. In other words, the kings will go there. Jesus is opening wide the gate. It's no longer just for a chosen people. It's no longer just for a select group. It's for anybody. And I love the fact that the gates won't be closed. Did you hear that? Now, in modern times, we struggle with what does that mean? Well, in ancient times, when there were walled and gated communities, they would always close the gate at the end of the day. I, I don't know who would do it. I don't know if somebody was paid to do it or, golly, there was just some guy. If his house was the closest, I don't know. But the gate was always closed, right, to include them, to close them in, to protect them from everything else. But John is telling us, no, the gate will be open not only by day, but now there will be no night because the Lamb is the light of the world. He's shining light ever. There's no need to close the gate. So anybody is welcome. You see, that's God's kingdom. God's kingdom says anybody can step in. Anybody can participate. Anybody can be a part of. And this is the good news that John wants to reveal to us. Everything Jesus said is true, he would tell us. Everything Jesus taught us is real, he would tell us. So let's be a part of that kingdom. Let's fling wide open the gates so that all may come in. This is God's kingdom. It's what John is revealing. And finally, we get to chapter 22, and John wants to celebrate in a very powerful way. And I, this is my favorite part because it ties together all of God's word from Genesis to Revelation. Listen to what John writes. Then... The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations." Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. 
and there will be no more night. They need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Oh, man, there is rich imagery there. He talks about the river of life, right? He talks about how um, that is going to be sort of overflowing and rich with life itself. And we know that to be true with water, don't we? I mean, we can't live without water. We know that water cleanses our lives, our bodies. It, It brings life to our mortal bodies. It's why we use water in baptism, because it reminds us both that we are getting life from God and we are being cleansed of all that prevents life from happening. But I want you to travel with me all the way back to the beginning of creation. In the second creation story in Genesis chapter 2, it says it this way. um, In verse 10, a river flowed through Eden and watered the garden. From there, the river branched out to become four rivers. And this is where we begin to know geographically where the Garden of Eden was. But notice, in that perfect place, the Garden of Eden, in that place God placed us originally and started all of creation, there was this river, right? And it fed life to Adam and Eve and their family and the animals and all that were there because that was God's desired outcome was this calm, serene, peaceful, whole place. This is the water that John is referencing in the river of life that he points out. Jesus himself would say that he was the river of life, right? In John chapter 4, Jesus says this, but whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. The water I give will become a spring of water gushing up inside that person, giving eternal life. Friends, I'm here to remind us that eternal life is not just about that place to which we go after we die, but eternal life is the equivalent of the kingdom of God. The thing Jesus brought with him, the thing he taught about, and the thing John is revealing to us again that ultimately will come through our relationship with Jesus and our revealing it to the rest of the world. But John's not done. He hasn't finalized the story yet. Not only is there this river, not only is there this water, but there's this thing called the tree of life. Did you hear it? He said in the, on both sides of the river is the tree of life with its 12 fruit producing fruit every month and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. That tree of life, have you ever heard of that? There's only one other place that it's talked about. It's in the creation story. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the fruit of the tree of the difference of the knowledge of good and evil, God becomes concerned that now they're going to eat from the tree of life. And here's what we get in that account in verse 22 of chapter 3. The Lord God said, see, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. They've eaten from that fruit, right? And now... He might reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So we see just a couple of verses later that God kind of puts some angels around the tree of life and uh, we are no longer able to live eternally until we realize, Jesus, 
until we encounter that relationship with Him, until we help build God's kingdom as God desires, until we can help reach that preferred future. Can you visualize it? Can you see what it is God yearns for us? What it was God wanted from the very beginning of creation in the Garden of Eden and what God wanted through His Son Jesus and how He tried to create that in our relationship with Him. And a part of what we come to realize is it is hard. Because of evil, it's hard. Because of suffering, it's hard. Because of all of the things that go on around us. But what John is reminding us is hold on if you will persevere and if you will be faithful. You can help build God's kingdom. You can help make that visualization become real. Because friends, I hope you know this. We cannot simply visualize. Remember, every athlete who uses that visualization knows that that's a tool, that's a mechanism for actually winning the race, for actually achieving their goal, for actually accomplishing all that they train for. The visualization is not the end result. The visualization helps us get there. That's what John is revealing to us, the visualization that we can make this true. Ultimately, here's what John says near the end in verse 14 of the last chapter. He simply says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Friends, these robes that he's talking about, that's the faithful living. Remember, Paul talked about put on the clothes of faithfulness, right? And gentleness and meekness and uh, uh, forgiveness and grace, right? These clothes, this robe is the way we live. It's what helps us build that kingdom, reach the tree of life, eternal life, which is the kingdom of God. Those gates, they're always open. Not only can we reach through them and enter into the kingdom, but we can help others. Here's all I want to say, friends. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstances are sort of pushing you down, no matter how bad life may seem, and I know it feels that way for many of us in these days, God is with you. God's kingdom is real. And there is an opportunity for us to step into it, not only to help build it, but to share it with others. John's revelation is powerful. And he ends ultimately with, See, I am coming soon. Lord Jesus, come soon. What we want is Jesus to come back into our hearts and lives. What we want is Jesus to be revealed most fully in all of creation. And when we do, when we see Him, when we reveal Him, when we love Him, God's kingdom is open wide. And anybody and everybody can enter into it. And He becomes the light that illuminates everything and everyone. Friends, I'm so grateful you've been with us throughout this series. My prayer for you is that you not only know that God is with you, that Jesus is on the throne, that He is the light of the world, but that not only can you receive that, but man, you can give that stuff away so that others may know that they too can see the light of life. They too can enter the wonderful gates. They too can celebrate the gift of life eternal. Thanks be to God for John's revelation and the powerful ways it helps us to celebrate the richness of God. Will you pray with me?
Holy and loving God, thank you that John cared enough about them and us to reveal your truth, to help us understand that we are a part of your great kingdom and that through the light of life, Jesus, we can not only have that kingdom, but we can share it with others. God, thank you that John revealed this truth to us. Thank you that it was true not only then, but is true now and has great impact on who we are and how we offer your good news in the world. Thank you for that powerful gift. In the name of Jesus, the light of the world, we pray. Amen. Hey, friends, I just want to offer you a little bit more light. Thank you for being generous. Your generosity creates immense opportunity for people to have their hearts transformed, for people to have food in their bellies sometimes, for people to know that they are genuinely and radically loved by the life of Jesus. Thank you for making that true. If you'd like to make a gift today, you can scan the QR code that's there on the screen with your phone right now, or you can text with your phone the letters TMUMC to the number 45777. But whatever you give, thank you for making ministry possible.